a big lesson I've learned is to treat everybody, no matter whether they're sitting in the corner office or they're standing on the corner of Main and Prospect, the same as human beings. Hello and welcome to The Daily Helping with Dr. Richard Schuster. Food for the brain, knowledge from the experts, tools to win at life. I'm your host, Dr. Richard. Whoever you are, wherever you're from, and whatever you do, this is the show that is going to help you become the best version of yourself. Each episode, you will hear from some of the most amazing, talented, and successful people on the planet who followed their passions and strive to help others. Join our movement to get a million people each day to commit acts of kindness for others. Together, we're going to make the world a better place. Are you ready? Because it's time for your daily helping. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Daily Helping Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Richard, and we have a phenomenal guest to share with you today. Sabina Nawaz is a global CEO coach, leadership keynote speaker, and writer working in over 26 countries. She advises C-level executives in Fortune 500 corporations, government agencies, nonprofits, and academic institutions. Sabina also teaches faculty at Northeastern University and facilitates faculty fellowship development program at Drexel University as well. Previously, she spent 14 years plus at Microsoft. There, she led the company's executive development and succession planning efforts for over 11,000 managers and seven executives. In addition, Sabina has spoken at hundreds of seminars, events, and conferences, including TEDx. Currently, she sits on the board of Power and Systems, a leadership development institute. Sabina believes the greatest privilege of working with leaders is bearing witness to their acts of courage. This is going to be a fantastic interview. Sabina, welcome to The Daily Helping. It is great to have you. Well, thank you, Dr. Richard. It's great to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Absolutely. I think this is going to be such an insightful interview. As you know, people are built on their stories. And I know yours is a fascinating one of of courage and overcoming adversity. I want you to take a step back and take us through some of the bigger defining moments in your life that led you to do the work that you're doing today. Gosh, how much time did we did you say, <laughs> Richard? <laughs> Before I start, I want to say everybody has a fascinating story, and I think that if there is something I want people to take away from this episode, is that no nobody is special and everybody is special. So it, it, I know you've you've pumped me up over here, and every single person has a story. I'll share mine, but I hope that it inspires other people to really reflect on and think about their own stories. And what are those defining moments that have been turning points for you? And which pivot are you going to take right now based on more awareness, more of that taking and step back, as you said, to understand your own story? One of the biggest uh, defining moments for me was about nine years into my career at Microsoft. My undergraduate and graduate degrees are in computer science, electronics, computer systems, engineering. And I was uh, working in software development at the company. Microsoft offered us an eight-week sabbatical. And unlike my usual MO, I had left five out of the eight weeks completely unscheduled, which means I got to sit on the couch and eat bonbons. And what happened was really 
and perhaps the most anticlimactic moment of my life. Because as I sat there, I started to have these insights and realizations, of course. One of those was that it was no longer a matter of if, but when I could become a corporate vice president at the company. Now, this had been my career aspiration. I was on the track. I was tracking how fast I was getting promoted and so on and so forth. A woman in tech, as you can imagine, especially in the, in the, in the dark ages. And once I realized, once it was crystal clear to me that I would get there, and don't get me wrong, the path there was still five years, 10 years down the road. But when I knew I could get there, I somehow became completely disinterested in getting there. I thought to myself, if I already know the formula for how to get there, why do I want to spend the rest five years, 10 years of my career chasing it? I realized that I had been chasing a dream of becoming, becoming the next thing, becoming a director, becoming a senior director, becoming a vice president versus just being, which is what I was doing when I was sitting on that couch. And so it was this moment of, shoot, what do I do now? This is what I thought I was supposed to be doing. And that made me really rewind, step back and think about, well, what is it that I get a lot of joy in? What is it that other people enjoy about me? I had received a lot of feedback that you're the best manager I've ever had. And again, just to be clear, there are people who've also told me I'm the worst manager they've ever had. But by and large, people thought I had some good people skills. I thought maybe I should do some of that people stuff, whatever that is. And I discovered that there was a group at Microsoft that invested in developing employees. And I just went to them and I said, hey, I have no training. I have no idea, but I know that I'm good at that people stuff and I want to make a change in my career. And that's how I shifted to doing what I'm doing. I was so fortunate that Microsoft invested in me with just street smarts and not yet book smarts on how to do leadership development. I did that for almost six years at the company, working with Bill Gates, Steve Ballmer, many, many senior executives there, and and then run my own business now, working one-on-one with CEOs and C-teams and doing leadership training and so on. But it was that realization of, I'm good with what I have. I don't need to chase something just to get a title. I want to do something that fulfills me, that gives me both joy and impact at the same time. That's a lot to process. And it's really interesting that you know, you're sitting there, you're amidst the bonbons and watching your television, and you just kind of have this realization that everything you've been chasing you don't want to chase anymore. And how fortuitous though, that you had an opportunity within a company the size of Microsoft to shift and then pivot into doing something that brings you true joy and passion. Absolutely. I do want to, I do want to make a tiny point there. When you said eating bonbons and watching television, I have never owned a television in my life. I Absolutely. <laughs> and retraction. I'll, ret- I'll retract that statement. <laughs> but the reason I say that is actually one of the things I work with, the executives I coach on a lot, is this concept of white space. White space, just like on a piece of paper that allows you to read and understand the words. That's what I was doing on my sabbatical, is sitting there with not a lot of stimulus, not a lot of noise. 
so that I could see what were the signals versus the noise that was coming along. Were there any particular lessons you learned specifically from Steve Ballmer and Bill Gates, who are obviously pillars of entrepreneurship and vision? Great question. I've, I've learned so much. I lear- I've learned a lot, a lot at Microsoft, both in terms of my current profession, getting trained by colleagues there, as well as how to work in a business setting. It was my first professional job in the corporate world. With Bill and Steve in particular, it was really eye-opening to truly see firsthand just how much responsibility lies on the shoulders of authority and how no matter where you are on that chain, you are still a human being. Just recently, I was coaching somebody and he had received some feedback about in his organization, people saying management isn't listening to us. And he said, since when did I lose my name and become management? And I think a big lesson I've learned is to treat everybody no matter whether they're sitting in the corner office or they're standing on the corner of Main and Prospect, the same as human beings. And looking at the humanity, that's what I got to see, as opposed to putting any one person on a pedestal. That's very interesting because from an outsider, particularly in the tech world, you know, those two Balmer and, and Gates in particular are worshipped, they're deified, but to hear from someone on the inside, it, it sounds like it was much more humanistic than I think the average person would, would think. That's refreshing to hear, to be sure. I, I want to shift gears a little bit. You and I chatted a little bit before we, we jumped on the air, and you, you indicated that adversity has been a big part of your development, and there was a, a series of incidents in particular that happened that really shaped who you are and what you're doing today. Take us through some of that. There are many formative, adverse experiences that have shaped me and and people can check out my TEDx talk on YouTube to find out more about that. More recently, in I lost 10 people from my life who were very close to me over the span of just a little over three years. And The biggest lesson I've learned through that is the truth of the cliche that time is your greatest asset. For me, it's really crystallized the importance, not just of time with a capital T, but time every microsecond that we spend. What choices, what intentions are we setting for that time? Because it could be game over next day, or even next hour. Some of these deaths we knew were coming for a while, like my mom who had been suffering from Alzheimer's, and some of them were incredibly sudden, two of them being deaths by suicide, which we were not anticipating in any way, shape, or form. So really, really taking the lesson of time. And for me, that has translated into cleaning out, cleaning out the things that no longer make sense for me to do or that I can do, but is that what I really want to do? Is that where I can make my biggest impact, have the greatest joy in what I'm doing? I will say no 
to more things these days than yes. That's my goal these days is to, is the ratio of no to yes should be about two or three to one. And that's includes leaving a dinner early if it's not working for me to turning down work where I think there's several colleagues who can do just as good a job and it's not speaking to me as much to letting go of a $10 refund because somebody was late on something and gave me a coupon, but now I have to make a phone call and spend time doing it. I can let go of that. It's okay. It's powerful. It's also, it's also letting go of relationships and deepening other relationships. Talk to us more about that. Going through adversity was really telling about the relationships I have in my life. Who reacted in what way? Now, it's very complicated because, especially in North America, we have a a difficult, at best, relationship with death. We don't even use the word death very often. And so I, I get that. And there are people who could not really speak about it or be there because I, I interpreted that it would be hard for them to do that. And there were other reactions that I noticed, but not just reactions to my situation. What I realized was that there were people I had been carrying around and literally I had been carrying around where every time I got in touch, we might get together. Every time I did whatever, I was carrying the relationship and I thought, let me just let go of over-functioning here. I really enjoy this person, but let me hold on and see what happens if I stop carrying everything. And where is it that my friends are carrying everything and that I care about and I need to do more of my part? So really load balancing, rebalancing the load of relationships and seeing what happens. And wonderful things and wonderful realizations have come out of that. Hey guys, Dr. Richard here. For the past seven years, I've been privileged to bring you incredible guests who are changing the world and can help you become the best version of yourself. I'm really excited to share with you a new quiz that I created based on my clinical training that will curate for you a custom list of my top episodes and actionable strategies to help you wherever you are on your journey. All you need to do is go to drrichardschuster.com to take it, and it's 100% free. You'll be taking the next step on the journey to unlocking the power of you, and I can't wait to see where you'll go. What, what, are, what are some of the most salient realizations that came from that? Well, I'll tell you one. Very recently, a friend of mine was on a similar interview like this, and I forget the exact question they asked her, but they asked her some question about someone who was meaning in their life. And she said, Sabina Nawaz, me. And uh, I read her interview transcript and I replied to her and I said, oh, ditto, I feel the same way. And she said, what do you mean? Our lives have taken very different paths. And I said, oh, surely you know, surely you know that you mean a lot to me. I attribute a lot of my success to you and I consider you one of my best friends. And she said, oh, I had no idea. 
And my realization there was, oh my gosh, how could I have done such a big miss of not talking to her and telling her that? So it's making things explicit. I might be carrying it around in my head, but how do I make that more explicit to the people that really matter, the people I really care about? By the same token, there are some relationships where I've let go of them and I don't miss them. And instead, I can use that time to spend with my two teenage sons or go for a pedicure or get some more sleep or get some more exercise. It's just clearing out the things, the clutter. I love that analogy. And one of the things that sticks with me as well is we make assumptions about the way people perceive us or maybe the way that we perceive them. And it can be, it can go both ways. It could be somebody might not know how much we value them, or there may be an individual that's actually an emotional drain on us or a drain of our time that holds themselves in a different position as well when that's actually not the case. So I'm really grateful that you shared that and expressed it the way that you did. I want to kind of jump back into your journey and get into more of the bread and butter of what the world knows you for, which is leadership, of course. And so after you realized that you weren't going to climb the ladder at Microsoft anymore, and eventually you, you went off on your own and started doing some things, talk to us about you know, the work that you're doing today, as well as for somebody listening to this who's excited and, and really wants to improve their own leadership, and not just maybe leadership in a, in a corporate or an entrepreneurial sense, but leadership in, in a personal sense or relationship sense. So I know I just loaded too many questions on you, but <laughs> let's start with the first about the transition into what you're doing today, and then let's dive into the leadership. It was really hard for me to leave uh, Microsoft. It was where I grew up. And I'd been there for nearly 15 years. I loved what I did. I had pretty much a blank check to stay. And I decided it was time to go out on my own, but it was a tough choice. I have been really grateful that I made that choice because it's exposed me to organizations across the globe. And what I've learned are things that are common to acts of leadership and organizations and organizational culture and things that are different. Based on that, I'm actually writing a book in the process of writing a book right now through the analysis of over 7,000 pages of data I've collected when I seek feedback on the individuals I coach. What are the most common things that people really love about their bosses? And what are the most common things that get in the way? not just of them working for their bosses, but get in the way of business results. So in a lot of ways, exercising leadership is not just about being nice. It's about being effective. And turns out that the two are inextricably intertwined with each other. Which brings me to your listeners and leadership in the broadest sense. Leadership is a verb, not a noun. It is not the sole domain of somebody with a certain title with a C in front of it. It is the domain of anybody at any time in any part of the world or organization. It's the leadership of you. How do you take charge of your life and the impact of your life on the world? 
I know it's very important to you, Dr. Richard, to make the world a better place by making each person better, engaging in those acts of kindness, giving and being. And so for me, it's really about that leadership of you. And I can break that down into a few different parts. I'd love for you to do that. Thank you. All right. (laughs) The first part is just being. It's sitting on that couch and eating bonbons. It's indulging in white space. And it feels like an indulgence. People feel incredibly guilty when they quote unquote do nothing. And I don't think it's an indulgence. You actually don't have a choice. If you don't do that, you're not clear. So what does white space mean? I see a little furrow in your brow and I'm wondering (laughs) the next question coming my way. Are you reading my mind? (laughs) It's essentially taking a couple of hours a week unplugged. No email, no devices, no internet, no discussions, no reading, no TV, nothing at all, no noise. And just sitting there thinking. Research shows that some of our biggest insights, I'm sure you know this, where do our biggest insights come at more moments in time? What activities are we doing? Meditating, relaxing, enjoying ourselves. Exactly. Driving in the shower. The power of the shower. So we want to amplify the power of the shower by taking some white space time where you don't do, but you be. We're human beings, not just human doings. So how can you bring in that being mind and integrate it with the doing mind? Of course, for the large portion of our time, we need to do a lot of things. But how can you be? And how can you get some insights from that? So first is the being, then it's the knowing. So once you can be, you get these insights. You start to realize what you want or, oh my gosh, I'd missed this critical element here. Once I step back, I can connect A and B and, and boom, the, the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. So now I know. And from that knowing, it's about asking. It's asking for help. Because knowing doesn't mean I'm a know-it-all. It means I know what I want, but it also might mean I don't know how to get there or I'm going to need more than me to get there. I deeply believe in the power of your personal board of directors or in the power of, I have a name for these people, your Jaleels, which I talk about in my TEDx talk. That is people who believe in you, who have you, have your best interest, who have your back, who are going to advocate for you, and also who are going to slap you upside the head and tell you the hard truth if you need that. So from that knowing comes asking. Asking also means advocating for yourself. I clearly remember this moment in my career where I was climbing this flight of stairs. My boss was at the, at the top of the stairs and I met him there. We were just about to pass each other. And I said, oh, Tom, I'm curious. What, how are you going to rate me at this upcoming performance review? And he gave me a number and I said, hmm, I had a number a point higher than that. Would you be open to discussing why I think think that? And he said, sure, but here's why I'm giving you this number. And he told me all the things I've done well and all the deficiencies I had. 
And I said, and here, here are some things that I'm not hearing in your narrative. And I would just like you to consider that. And guess what? Two weeks later, I got the higher number. But if I hadn't asked, I wouldn't have gotten that number. So it's the being, the knowing, the making, the ask, and then the responsibility of owning it. I often come across people who say, yeah, that's great. You had a boss who gave you that number. You had somebody who gave you feedback. And I say, whose responsibility is it for you to get feedback? Well, they have to give it to me. Yes, but whose responsibility is it? So it's very rare that if you say, hey, doctor, if I say, hey, Dr. Richard, after this talk, would you please give me some feedback? It's likely you're going to say, of course, Sabina, I'll do that. And then you may or may not follow up. It's not your job to follow up. It's mine. So I would have to say, great. Thank you so much for your generosity. Would it be okay if we set up a time a month from now or at your convenience? Sure. Now that time might get rescheduled a couple of times. It's my job to make sure it, it, it happens. And then it's also my job to ask the right questions to get the right feedback. That's the ownership. So if I just say, how did I do? As my colleague Mark Uell says, that would be looking for reassurance because you're, you're going to say, you did fine. You did great. But if I said, tell me, tell me about what did I do or say that you believe had an impact on your audience? What was left? And ask you some behavioral questions to give me really specific feedback. Now I can walk away with quality feedback, but that is all on me, not on you. You're already doing me the favor of your time and your thinking. It's my job to bring you to that conversation and to invite that thinking in a way that's going to work for me. Everything you just said was expressed in a way that was so succinct and makes so much sense. You know, so many people, I think when you described that feedback is so we're often looking for that reassurance. That's so right on that there's just, we want to know, we want the attaboy and the pat on the shoulder, but we often don't ask the right questions so that we can take ourselves a level up and improve and, and address areas where we can grow stronger. Fantastic. Sabina, this has been fantastic. I feel like I could talk to you forever and you would just be dropping pearls of wisdom on us over and over again, but I am absolutely going to have you back on when your book comes out and can't wait to dive into what those 7,000 data points of research <laughs> show us next year. But as you know, everybody who comes on this show, I ask them a single question and that is, what is your biggest helping? The one most important piece of information you'd like somebody to walk away with after hearing our episode today? Thank you, Dr. Richard. I cannot wait to come back on the show again. And I am going to ask you for feedback after this, but more to follow on that. My biggest helping would be really thinking about when, when you're looking at that leadership of you, realizing the danger of a single story. Most often when we get stuck, we make up a story and we consider that story the truth in capital letters. And the more righteous we are, the more stuck we feel, the more we need to break down that story and create multiple stories. As human beings, we are meaning-making machines. We make up stories all the time. So I might think, oh gosh, that person 
doesn't is has it out for me. So I'm not going to give them any data when I go into my next meeting. And that's one version of the story. But what if I could make up multiple stories? Often people say, well, don't make up stories. Well, that's human nature. So instead of fighting it, I would say give into it and indulge in storytelling, except make up multiple stories. Let me give you an example. As I coach people in their 40s and their 50s and older, they often limit what they will do or not do based on a single assumption or a single story they're making. And so as I thought about that and I thought about my kids, I thought, is there something I can do with my kids that wouldn't get them to that state a few decades hence? And we created a game called Multiple Meanings. Every morning as I drove them to school, we would cross this bridge and we we would do this round. I have two kids, two boys, and we would do this round in the car called Multiple Meanings. We would pick something that day that caught our attention. Let's say it's a woman riding on a bicycle without a helmet. And we, we would go around and make up multiple meanings of what meaning do we make of this woman? One could be she left home in a hurry and forgot her helmet. And then one of my sons might chime in, the teenager, saying, well, she was actually rebelling against her parents. Her helmet is in her backpack because she had to show her parents she, she had it, but then she took it off as soon as she left home. And my younger son might say, well, maybe she uh, doesn't believe in helmets saving lives. She just believes in learning how to bike more safely. And I might then make up another story of, well, she just got a blowout on her hair and didn't want to spoil it and get helmet head. So by making multiple meanings as an exercise and building your muscle to make multiple meanings, when you're in those fraught situations, in those hard jobs or challenges in your life, you might start to have access to more meanings and get unstuck. So that would be my biggest helping. I love that. Absolutely love that. Sabina, this has been exceptionally great. Tell us where people can find you. People can find me on my website, sabinanawaz.com. They can also join my mailing list by emailing subscribe to info at sabinanawaz.com. It'll be in the show notes. When you do that, you will also receive a gift with 12 tips I have for you. Outstanding. And again, for those of you at the gym or behind the wheel, we've got you covered. Everything Sabina Nawaz will be available in the show notes for her episode, as well as in the Daily Helping app available in iTunes and Google Play. Sabina, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I loved having you today. Woohoo! Thank you, Dr. Richard. That's great. <laughs> Thank you. And thanks as well to each and every one of you who chose to listen to our conversation today. If you like what you heard, go subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review because this is what helps other people find the show. But most importantly, go out there today and do something nice for someone else, especially if you don't know who they are. And post it in your social media feeds using the hashtag MyDailyHelping because the happiest people are those that help others. 